Hi everyone, this is Dan Smith. I'm a big science fiction fan and a heavy coffee drinker. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Coffee in Space. Coffee in Space is a new podcast designed to get the best and established and up-and-coming science fiction fantasy writers in front of you. I want to help you learn more about who they are as people, how they write, and how they live. Whether you're listening to this podcast at home or in your car or somewhere in between, I want to create a comfortable atmosphere where it's just us hanging out, learning about each other, and, of course, science fiction. Now, before I get to the reading today, I want to talk a little bit about post-apocalyptic writing and COVID-19. One of my biggest early influences regarding science fiction and fantasy was the great David Brin. Still is, in many ways. In, all, in many ways, I latched on to science fiction because of his post-apocalyptic novel, The Postman, published in 1985. Oh, by the by, I got the privilege of meeting David in 2018, and he is just the coolest dude around. Took a picture with him, too, uh, and if I can get it attached to it, I'll put it on the show notes on the blog. Anyway, The Postman is about a fellow named Gordon Krantz, who finds himself going from one small community to another, trading his acting skills for food and shelter. When he happens upon a long-since-deceased postman's uniform, his story suddenly changes, and that's where the plot gets really amazing. I highly recommend it, though it's based on Cold War-era ideas of the apocalypse, so it might not fit quite as much nowadays. Still, very good read. David's book is on my mind lately as the current crisis with COVID-19 rages around the globe. The more I think about it, the more I think COVID-19 can teach us some things about post-apocalyptic writing. I'd like to share a few of those things now. First, it takes a lot more than we assume it does to really beat humanity down. In the 1300s, the Black Death, or bubonic plague, it's also known by several other names, killed somewhere around 25 million people in Europe, and that was between 30 to 60% of the total population at the time, depending on the years that you count the plague and, and some other data. It took the continent 200 years to recover its population numbers to the pre-plague levels. I can't imagine what we'd do in modern times if we lost that many people, and that's considering the fact that it's a much smaller percentage now uh, than the population loss was back then. Another example is the 1918 Spanish flu, which killed 17 to 50 million people and infected 500 million. Now here's the real interesting point about that last number. The Spanish flu infected around a quarter of the world's entire population at the time. COVID-19 is not going to come close to those numbers. With quarantine and social distancing already in effect just about everywhere, and better care of those who are sick coming online, COVID-19 just doesn't have a chance. That doesn't mean it won't be horrific in its own right by the time we're done, or that I think social distancing is a bad idea. I practice it every day with my family, except when I have to go to work, and even then I wear a makeshift mask. For those directly affected by COVID-19, of course, it's the worst thing imaginable. All I mean to say is, with Spanish flu, the plague, and other pandemics in history having a greater impact to the population at the time than what COVID-19 will in our time, it won't be able to create the catalyst needed for our post-apocalyptic literature. 
The second thing I'd like to share is that it would take a very special virus to actually create an apocalypse or zombie outbreak. Because of the above data that I shared, it would take a real monster of a disease to actually cause enough damage to the human race to get us to our post-apocalyptic literature event or catalyst. As bad as COVID-19 is, and as bad as pandemics of the past were, I honestly can't imagine what it would take to get to the to get the world to the levels casually mentioned at the beginning of most science fiction and some fantasy writing. As for zombies, while it could possibly come from a virus or bacterium, we have to contend with the fact that viruses and bacterium that I referenced uh, in the uh, the pandemics of such Spanish flu and and the plague, they killed people. None of them altered people's states of mind, at least not more than temporarily while they dealt with fevers. Certainly not enough to create zombies. And again, I can't imagine what it would really take to get there, which is probably why most post-apocalyptic literature already starts with the aftermath in progress. The third thing I'd like to share about COVID-19 and post-apocalyptic literature is the results of something big enough to really cause the apocalypse would be absolutely earth-shattering. Were we ever to get to the levels that would cause a book's premise to come true, Earth would be truly devastated. Probably worse than anything any writer can imagine, because it's worse than anything that's ever happened in history. I wrote a story recently that I've been sending out to magazines for consideration called Kuiper Belt Bandits in Love. In that story, I depict post-invasion Earth... Uh, and those in space trying to free it. During my pre-writing, I wrote about a desperate man who wanted to join his wife in death. He'd survived Chicago's destruction where a million died, at the same time that other major urban areas were experiencing a likewise high death toll. And I really paid a lot of attention to trying to capture his emotional state at this time. And what COVID-19 is teaching me now is that my initial ideas on a pre-apocalyptic event isn't even close to what would really happen if we reached the level of death and destruction required to be the catalyst. I've got a lot more learning to do to get to that level in my writing. As I mentioned before, I don't say any of this to pretend that COVID-19 isn't a big deal, or that it isn't devastating to the families of the roughly 75 to 80,000 people who died already from this virus as of this recording. If anything, what I'm trying to say is that we've been short-sighting our understanding of how bad it would really be if we ever got to the apocalypse. As a bonus thought, I thought it might be interesting to consider what follow-on actions would need to occur in order to bring about the apocalypse. Let's use COVID-19 as an example. In order for the coronavirus to cause the apocalypse, the world economy would have to actually collapse. States and cities would need to be vying for medical equipment and economic capacity to a level we haven't seen yet. At some point, New York or California would need to say they're going it alone. National Guard troops would be needed to activate, to put down the insurrection, and then the dominoes start falling into place. If America, the stalwart of the the tech and economic world, failed that massively, then maybe it would happen in places like Italy and Spain as well, kind of like what Arab Spring did several years ago. In uh, and then other world powers would emerge in the vacuum, and someone would probably start a war for grabbing territory. But that isn't going to happen, certainly not on that scale. So COVID-19 still isn't going to be the catalyst for your next post-apocalyptic novel, mine either for that matter.
Okay. Enough talk of COVID-19 for now. With one last caveat. I'm not a scientist, medical professional, or politician. Get your actual news from where you should. And be careful with what even the news is telling you. Test it against more than one source and read between the political posturing. What I focused on in my briefing is how COVID-19 relates to post-apocalyptic writing, not how to handle yourself in the current crisis. Okay. The final segment of our show today is something I look forward to doing with guest authors in the future. In the reading section, I want to give authors a few minutes to intrigue us on a story. Today, I'm going to read a short short that I wrote a couple of years ago called The Receptionist Queen. The Receptionist Queen by S. Daniel Smith Folks still wonder just how Cassandra Thomas disappeared, especially since her body was never found. Few think to consider the aliens took the young single receptionist, even though she worked at one of the many observatories that dot the international landscape. Oh, a couple of sci-fi nuts wondered about it some several years back. They thought perhaps that she had been abducted and her body melted for scrap parts on some faraway planet, but no one believed them, being that they were nuts and all. It happened in broad daylight, too, which makes the situation that much harder to fathom. A saucer-looking craft simply materialized out of thin air in the parking lot. Cassie had not even notified the scientists working that day, such was her fear of the object outside. Frozen at the lobby desk, she tried to think of something to say or do anything, but words and actions escaped her. Suddenly, a cloaked individual appeared at the base of the saucer and began to walk towards the building. Cassie finally gathered the ability to do something and hit the panic button, which signaled to police in nearby city that something was wrong. Thus she inadvertently started the false trail for her investigation. As he opened the door, the cloaked individual said, You will do. She was terrified, and for good reason. On top of the surrealism of a parked spacecraft and was the fact that this individual didn't even show his face. It must have been so horrid. Come with us. He started to turn back towards his ship. But, but, she protested. He turned back to her. We have lost our queen, the alien said. I will not surrender my warship or my crew to the phalanx. We need a queen and you will do. I pledge our loyalty to you, Queen of Bastia. With that, he prostrated himself on the floor in front of her desk. Cassie leaned over the desk and looked at him, so big and strong, face down on the floor before her. I... Please, he said. A queen must not speak. She lets others speak for her. Her phone started ringing. It was probably the local sheriff's office. She looked down at the phone and then looked back at the alien. Why was he bowing to her? And why couldn't she scream? She felt a flash of heat as her emotions and the stress washed over her. The phone kept ringing in her ears, but she just couldn't pick up the phone. The alien began to move. He held out a hand once he was standing again, head slightly bowed. She took his bony, leathery fingers cautiously in hers and followed slightly behind him. Cassie had never been treated like a queen before. 
By the time the police showed up to question the dumbfounded scientist, Queen Cassie of Bastia and her entourage were gone to retake the throne. Finding her new home much more advantageous than her previous dwelling, she never returned, much to the dismay of those looking for her still. The end. I want to close this episode with a way you can help people out during the COVID-19 crisis. And I'll give you an example from my own life to show you how. Classic Cleaners is a small dry cleaner operation up the road from where I live in San Diego. I've taken stuff there before, and the guy does a good job, especially with my uniforms. Well, I'd been sitting on a suit and a couple of uniforms, and with all the quarantine time keeping me from work all but a couple of days a week, I decided to take my stuff there. I asked the gentleman how his business was handling the quarantine, and he responded with a very sad look, defeated really. He told me he was down to two or three customers a day now, whereas he couldn't even have counted the number on an average day before COVID-19. No one wears suits or skirts when working from home, he told me. I gladly shared this information with everyone in our military housing neighborhood, and I'll share it here as well. If you've been sitting on something as simple as some dry cleaning, and you go to a local place normally, consider taking it now to get taken care of as long as you still have an income stream. A couple of bucks a shirt probably won't break you, but it might keep your dry cleaner in business and his family or her family under one roof. On the plus side, not only will you be supporting a local business and family, but you'll be ready for action when you do go back to work full-time. And folks, let's, let's just be honest, we will go back to work full-time someday. The economy will recover, jobs will come back, people who already have jobs will go back to work, and you will, again, need the dry clean. So support the local businesses, in particular if you have some of these businesses that you may think you don't need right now. Please give them a give them a chance. Well, folks, that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining me. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe via your favorite podcast provider. I'm Dan Smith, and I can't wait until we meet again over a coffee in space. <laughs>